being able to like forgive her and forgive myself and like forgive myself for having a resentment over my friend who died because how dare I, you know, it was, there was something about that process too that was super therapeutic to realize that like, here's this person that was so special to me and that like, why did I, I had so much survivor's guilt over like, why did I get to live and like be this age and like she didn't get to and it's just not fair and all the things. But then to be able to be super, super honest and super, super vulnerable and be like, and on top of all that, I'm still mad at her. Here we are again. Hello. Round two. Round two. I'm excited you messaged me about this because I haven't had too many round twos and I like to hear that. Yeah, it's great. It's fun. As fun as this conversation can get. All right. I, well, I think it's fun. You know me. I know. I know. It's just totally funny. You know me, but it, we just met. I know. It's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's funny. On the way here, I had I meant to say it to you, but I was like, this is only the second time I've met her, but for some reason, I feel like we're friends. Me too. You know what I mean? Like, totally. I mean, we're friends regardless, but it just feels like, I don't know, like we went to a party last week and you saw, you know, my buddy Liam, you know, my buddy Jake, but it's, it's not like that. No, it's not like that. No, but I feel like ultra comfortable. Good. I mean, look at us. We're both yeah. sitting in, in this style. I know. I texted him being like, hey, I'm really casual. I hope that's okay. <laughs> because I didn't realize what time it was. And yeah, I was I like, shit, I got to go. Anyway. Well, I, and, you know, my response said, if you, you should have wore a onesie. Yes, I know. That would have really taken the levity up. Up. I just love how I went, yep. anyone watching, I went down. Anyway. Anyway. Another episode of Dead Talks. Second round with hospice nurse Julie. And uh, I do want to start by saying why you were motivated to come back. You mentioned you lost, you have, I mean, you have your own stories that were a little bit more personal because the last time we were here, we got, you know, which I'm sure we'll get into again about your career as a hospice nurse. But did you want to kind of go anywhere with your specific stories that you have in mind? Yeah, well, I think I reached out to you because I was listening to one of your podcasts or someone was talking about a friend who died or so, or maybe you were talking about your dad, you know, your dad who died. And I was thinking when I was here last, I just talked mostly about my experience with death and dying through hospice, which is also wonderful and I love it. But I have gone through a lot of great loss as a young woman, I guess. I was, I was a teenager. And I don't put that, I don't associate that with my death and dying hospice stuff. It's like a whole different section of my life. And you talk about that. So I thought, hey, I want to talk to, I want to talk about that too. I mean, how different is, I mean, it's different because one, you know, it's professional and one's personal. And I feel like sometimes even with the work you do, it kind of feels personal if you develop a relationship. But just in general, like, isn't there kind of a a synergy between the two? Like, I, even though one happened early in your life and then your career happened, was there any correlation between your experiences as a teen to that career path? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. And if, it feels different to me because these were sudden. So they weren't like this gradual death. It was like a sudden loss where that, that something about that has really changed me because uh, it was like this surprise. But I've always been like really spiritual and kind of like a seeker. So um, that is how death and all of all of death, whether it's a surprise and I'm not expecting it and I'm 17 or if I'm, you know, 40 and I'm a hospice nurse, I still like deal with the death part kind of the same because I have a sp certain spiritual belief. Interesting. What is that belief? Oh, well, I think we're all connected. And I think we, well, first I know I don't really know. So I know it's just a belief and it's very kind of like, 
in and out, right? And I don't, I would never like fight over it or be like, no, my way, my way is right. Right. It's a good uh, disclaimer so, for anyone that's yeah. about to get in the comments right now. So. Yeah, right. And I really believe that I really wouldn't fight somebody. Like I wouldn't I get in an argument about like my beliefs over yours. But in general, I feel like we're all connected. I feel like when we die, we go to a place that we've always known and it feels more like home than this place ever has. But I want to back up for a second. So you, you mentioned something when you're 17. Do you, what loss is this? So that was my first big loss. It was my best friend. Her name was Shauna. I also want to talk about it just because I want to talk about her. I think it feels like really good to make sure people know about her. That's great. Yeah. So her name uh, was Shauna and she was 17 and she died in an ATV accident. Random. You know, I lived in like, I lived in the sticks. So we like rode ATVs. Um, I wasn't there, which was a huge, huge thing. I felt like I normally would be there. And of course, when you're young and like immature, it feels a little bit like if I only was there or if I, there's a part of you that wishes you were there, even though it probably was best I wasn't. But um, yeah, so she died in an ATV accident. And I feel like that was the first experience I've had where, um, and not the only, but the first where one, it was my best friend. And two, it was a, a, just a huge shock. Yeah. And like earth shattering, you know, I'm, I know, I know people know it's not like I'm the only one who experienced that, but yeah, it, that, I've mentioned this before. I mean, this has been on the podcast or it's a natural discussion of people know, but at the same time, you know, everyone individually experiences things different, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like people can relate, like I can relate to someone who lost their father, but I still don't know what they're feeling. You know what I mean? So there yeah. is a big difference, which is why I think these talks are important because everyone experiences so differently, but through a story like yours, you're still going to find people that will relate to that specific feeling that you have within those multitude of feelings. So do you remember, what do you remember from that in regards to like afterwards and what you felt and how you got through it? I don't actually remember much. The only thing I remember the day of is like very blurry details of someone calling me and we, her and I had nicknames for each other. I was Butch and she was Ralph, which is a whole. Should we get into that? Yeah, I, I was, <laughs> I was Butch because I always cut my hair. It was like back in, I would, I would like, I had long hair like this and then I would like cut it really short. And so then she would see, the first time she saw me with really short hair, she was like, butch, because I butched my hair. I butched my hair off. I don't know. And then to me, Ralph felt fitting with butch. Then I was like, Ralph. Anyway, and it just stuck for like years and years. So then I was butch and she was Ralph. And no one really called me that except for her. And I, and really, I, I only, like, we would just call each other that. And it wasn't like everyone called us that. So someone called me and said, butch, and called me butch. And I, it was like one of her friends that wasn't really my friend. But they called me, and they knew that she called me Butch. <laughs> so I thought initially it was her, like, just because I hadn't heard someone call me that. And, of course, I'm not expecting anyone to call me and say she died. So someone said Butch, and I was like, what's up? You know, thinking it was her. And clearly knowing it wasn't after, like, a millisecond, because I could recognize that it wasn't her voice. But it's still the initial thought was this Shauna was calling me. And then she just told me that Shauna had died that night. And, of course, it just... You know, you don't understand. You don't understand. Like you can't compute. What do you mean? How? What? Who? How did that happen? Yeah, especially that phone call. That that those phone calls. I've had. I've experienced that at a much later in my life. But those phone calls are just so unexpected. Yeah. You know what I mean? Besides any kind of ex- uh, unexpected death, those phone. Something about those phone calls. Like you remember those, but I know. and then afterwards, it's you know I, I can relate to the not remembering stuff when I was younger. I spoke about that before, but um. What sticks with you the most in regards to that experience 
being so young to who you are today or getting through that process? Like the generalized what sticks with me the most? Like, do you think, since you said you don't remember a lot from it, is this something that you feel like you've contemplated later in life or more recently? Yeah. So I think um, the my, my biggest like breakthrough thing, there were two things that were like really significant that helped me not, and it's not at all like get over it, right? Not, not at all like that, but like helped me not have this like painstaking grief that I carried for like years and years and years and years and years was one, I went to a psychic, which I went to a bunch after she died, by the way. I went to like, uh, I went to like psychic villages. I was like constantly trying to like connect with her and I never did. And then like years later, a really random psychic. <laughs> it's I laugh now because the guy was kind of crazy and like he didn't really say anything great except for the one thing I really needed to hear, which was our nicknames. Oh, that came up? That came up. And I remember thinking... I was kind of over it by then, right? I was over, like, trying to talk to her. And I was kind of, like, settled with, like, well, listen, I know she's around. It's okay. Like, I don't need to hear from her from a, through a psychic medium. Uh, and then this randomly kind of came up. And then I remember thinking, he has to say our nicknames or I don't care what he says. And he did. And then even after that, he didn't even say much after that. Like, he didn't say, like, anything, like, profound or great. He was just sort of, like, she was, like, if I look back, it wasn't even, like, he gave me anything that profound. It was just that, like, he said that he knew the nicknames. And I remember just hysterically crying on the phone. Like, something about that, like, gave me such relief. Whether it's real or not real or whatever, the, I don't know. But I remember just sobbing and getting so much relief from that. I mean, first of all, th th it's those stories you can easily dismiss probably like 99% of those people that do that type of work. But there's, I, you know, there's certain stories like that for anyone that doesn't believe. It's like, how do you, are, you know, how do you how compute do you, that? How do you? I know. It's not like you're, like, I, I feel like if you Googled yourself as popular as you are now, or maybe now after this, but is that something you'd even, like, how do you find that? All right. That's what I, that's why, and that's what's so funny because then even people would be like, well, what do you say? And I'd be like, I don't know. All I know is he fucking knew she called me butch. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how? <laughs> I don't care what he said. I, know, I like, was shocked that was like, besides the fact that he said that, was, I was even shocked that was a, that was the name and of all right. the names. You know what I mean? All right. Like, so it like, and there was just something so, I, I, I can't even explain it. All I know is like a weight that I didn't even know was there came off me that day. And like, I haven't grieved this, the same sense. And and again, like I still grieve, but it changed. It fully changed where I can like talk about her and not be like, I don't know. Like it just it's just a different feeling. I still grieve, but it feels different. And it's like he released something in me. What, what, cause you said, you said it was a relief and you were, you were seeking that out. If you had to think about it, do you, what do you think that, what were you seeking? Just acknowledgement that she's somewhere? Well, that's funny too. Cause as we mentioned earlier, which we don't have to get into this, but I I'm sober and I, uh, am in a 12 step program where you go through all these steps and yada, yada. And you go through like these resentments and things like that. And I knew there was something weird with her that I like somehow resented her or, or was it, was it guilt? Was it shame? Like, what was it? There was just weird feelings around it. Right. After, my, after or during your living experience with her? Um, after she died, okay, after okay. she died. And I was like going through um, these steps in AA and I was talking to my sponsor about her and about like her death. And I thought it was more like I felt guilty and it, and there is some of that in there. But what I found was, um, and this probably isn't for everybody, but I had a resentment towards her before she died. 
Oh, okay. So I had a okay. resentment towards her before she like, and like the death clouded it, right? Like I would, well, like I could never think about that because like she's dead, and I feel bad that she's dead. So like, but what it came, what came out of the steps was that like I had a resentment about how she hadn't been calling me and like all these things where, and then even realizing that and then being able to like forgive her and forgive myself and like forgive myself for having a resentment over my friend who died because how dare I, you know, it was, there was something about that process too that was super therapeutic to realize that like, here's this person that was so special to me and that like, why did I, I had so much survivor's guilt over like, why did I get to live and like be this age and like she didn't get to and it's just not fair and all the things. But then to be able to be super, super honest and super, super vulnerable and be like, and on top of all that, I'm still mad at her for like not talking to me when I thought she should have. And like when she died, she was better friends with other people and she was with those people and that's who she died with. And and that really hurt too. Like these weird, complicated, like teenagery feelings that like I just refused to acknowledge for like a million years until I was older and with someone trusted. And it really profoundly changed how I felt about it. Yeah, that's so profound because I think, like you said, when someone dies, it's like the it's like the eulogy everyone gives. Everyone gives a positive eulogy, but there's all these like underlying feelings, and no one. I feel like you feel guilty about acknowledging after someone died anything negative at all. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that you discovered that, and also you're willing to say that. That's that's so important because I feel like that that's something people can relate to, whether they want to admit it or they don't know yet. But yeah. what step was it, or what was it that brought that out in the step twelve step program? Do you it remember? was step four. Uh, step four when you write out your resentments, and it's kind of complex. It's kind of like. Yeah, you write out your resentments, how it affected, like what it was, how it affected you, and then how you had a part in it. So then in your fifth step, you read it to your sponsor. So that's who the the person who you're trusting kind of helps you reflect back on like what you're trying to even say or like what your part in the resentment is. And being with my sponsor, who I freaking love, really helped me um, – most of the time, they're just listening. But like it really helped me see like, oh, my gosh, there's so much – there's so much more in here that I just was never acknowledging because I was too afraid because she's gone. And I felt like that should be over by now. I shouldn't feel those things. How many years ago was this? I don't know. I'm 17. I'm 40 now. So. Oh, okay. So was, this, this breakthrough was recent? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Yeah. The- um, The breakthrough was I got, well, I was probably 33. So seven years ago. So you were kind of carrying that for that long. Yeah. And did you? I didn't even know it. That's the thing. Is I didn't know. Did you feel you were you were carrying something? Yeah, I knew I was carrying something for sure. And it just then you let go. Yeah. Then then like I I knew I was carrying something. I just didn't have the words to, or even like the thoughts to fully understand it. Like it was just sort of. I've always just thought it was like. I felt guilty that I wasn't there when she died. That's what I thought it was, right? And and there was some of that, but a lot of it was. I feel guilty that I still feel mad at her for us kind of having a falling out before she died. And like, like, and I wasn't even really willing, even now it's so hard to acknowledge, but that is, that was the truth that I was still a little mad about that. Yeah. I mean, there's even a big, a greater, like not greater because what you just learned is incredible, but there is another lesson in there in regards to what we do now while we're alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. that how long that shit carries with you afterwards and just how important it is to just either say what you need to say and face it, whether good or bad, or squash that shit like earlier. You know what I mean? Because then, I mean, you're living proof of how much that 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 stayed with you another 16 years or whatever it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? After the fact. Yeah. When you think it's something you let go, 
So, I mean, there's just a beautiful lesson there to really, truly, obviously, as cliched as it is, a cliche for a reason to, you know, the relationships you have, you got to, you got to say what you need to say or, or confront whatever it is, because God forbid something like that happens. Yeah. You're going to have to confront it anyway, whether they live or die. You're going to have to confront it. That's the thing. You're going to have to confront it anyway. And if anything, I feel like it gets, it gets amplified. Yeah. Because of now they're gone and I felt like this and there's so many mixed emotions where that going to go. So it's amazing that you actually discovered that. You know what I mean? I feel like I wonder how many other people are holding stuff now that haven't had the opportunity or insight that you had to let that go. Yeah. And what about the letting it go aspect? Because, okay, you discovered it, right? Was that simultaneous with the process of letting go because you discovered it and then you just quickly were like, oh, this is what it is and you released it? I got to start Yes, work. it felt like uncontrollable. It felt like once I, once I, you know how you have that feeling of like it just clicks all of a sudden? It was like, and then you have this release like, it felt like that. It was like I had no control over the release part. Like, I couldn't make that happen. It was like what I needed to do was speak my truth, which I didn't even know was there, right, to another human being who I trusted and loved and could just hear it. And then there was, like, a release, and I, like, had, like, a profound cry. Just like, <laughs> you do, you know those those times when it's like you weren't even ready for it? And I was, I just remember crying in this woman's living room, <laughs> Just like, and and it was like, you know, my 17 year old, like just what I have over many years, 15 years mm-hmm. of, of like built up fucking tension that just was like released in that moment. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like the energy stayed stagnant. Like you said, you cried. It, it feels like you were that person. Not you felt like you were 17 again, but it, that was something you held at that age. Yeah. And it just kind of like sits there like that. Yeah. Because it was a different, you, I mean, I'm sure people know what I mean when I say it was like a different kind of cry. It was like, it was, even when I was done, I was like, whoa, wow. Okay. So <laughs> I didn't know that was, yeah. I didn't released. know that was there. <laughs> uh, I, I need to go I home and sleep now. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. Thank you, uh, Judy, my sponsor, <laughs> for listening to me. Thank you, Judy. I appreciate you for this life-changing <laughs> I event. Jeez. I know. Like, I literally will love you forever. I feel like I need to become an alcoholic just to have an experience <laughs> like know. that. Tell me about it. I think that all the time. I'm like, I'm so grateful. This is amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And so uh, so along that process, again, you said you felt like something was there, that feeling, right? Like you felt yeah. something, you were carrying something. Was there anything you tried doing before this breakthrough experience or you just kind of just moved, just lived on? Yeah, I kind of just lived on. I mean, in the beginning when she first died and I was 17 and I I could definitely see like maturity levels in there, right? Like in my like 17, 20, early 20s-ish, I would uh, like go to psychics and I would get, I did get therapy, um, but I kind of just, you just move on from it. You know, I don't know. It becomes a part of your, like, who you are, right? And then as the years go on, it's, like, less and less of who you are. Like, I remember, you know, I used to, like, talk about it a lot more. I would, like, grieve her birthday a lot more, grieve the day she died a lot more. Like, and there's always a weird dynamic of, like, not wanting attention, but then wanting attention and then feeling like you're trying to get attention and you hope you don't look like you're trying to get attention. You know, there's such a weird thing. Humans are Fickle sons of bitches. I'll tell yeah. you that much. But I mean, it, but it's also a fine line because, you know, we move on. We think we're getting, hopefully we are in some ways getting better. But at the same time, there is that sneaky little feeling that you had that was stayed with you, even though you thought you were just moving on. Yeah. You know what I mean? So oh, totally. it's like, it's like, how do we decipher, am I good? Because I, I, I had a, my second therapy session on my life today. 
and it was kind of that that same scenario of am I am I moving on because I know I have to move on that's just especially me that's my nature of just I keep going but am I burying it because in re- relation it came up today in the in the session about he, he asked about grief and this or that I was like I think I'm good you know what I mean I think I'm at this point it's been 20 something years 2001 so it's been what 22 years almost and uh I'm like I'm good I feel like I'm good but also part of me is like am I good or is there something self-controlling subconscious that I don't know about. So my focus has switched from like grieving to how much is that trauma experience shaped who I am Mm -hmm. for the better I'll take, but for the, you know, for the shitty shit that I may do or may act, it's like, how much is that affecting me? And is that still being, I'm still grieving or is that just an habitual? I, I don't know. That's where I think of, am I, have I moved on? Like, am I good? Like, I feel good, but is there something underlying like you experienced and was there for, you know, almost 15 years or 16 years? Right. Oh, and like, and just so you know, like, it's easy for me in hindsight to be like, oh, yeah, I was carrying this around and I knew it. I don't know if I fully knew it while I was over the years, you know, I was just sort of like living life and like, yeah, so it's really hard to know. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. You don't know until you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's why like, I think if you look at, I think the way to look at it is I got to look at my habits. I'm like, okay, what am I doing for my personality or just the way I think? What are my consistent thoughts? Yeah. And it's like the, the things that we do the most habitually or whether it's thoughts or actions or reactions, I feel like those are little hints to digging even deeper and, and then following like little cookie crumble path to where it begins. So I don't know. I think it's really important that we really be, we have to be honest with ourselves. It's so easy to lie to, it's so yeah, easy to so lie easy. to ourselves. You can yes. lie to other people, whatever, but it's worse when you know the truth about something mm-hmm. and it's important to like go inward and like really figure that out. But it's like a, de- I don't know, it's like a deduction process unless you have a profound, but that, that's kind of like, that's what you did. When I asked about your process, you were writing things out and you were kind of getting it all out and then you pinpointed it. Yeah. So yeah. That's a good process. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, I think the fourth step, I mean, don't give me, I could talk, I can make a whole nother podcast about, uh, Sobriety and uh, the things like, I mean, the steps and which is supposed to be not talked about. I don't know. I, I'm always like, like the first rule of Fight Club. Yeah, don't talk not, about Fight Club. I'm supposed to talk about it. <laughs> but I'm like, bah, 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 it's amazing. Because <laughs> um, it is so amazing. We're not I condoning, mean, you know, pushing towards that. I'm just yeah, right. I'm, I'm I'm, I, it's attraction rather than promotion. However, I am obviously promoting it. But I just think it's such a, yeah, it's a wonderful tool. <laughs> Yeah, I have, anyone, I have several friends that are sober, and, and the turnaround has been incredible. Yeah, it's just so, it's so beautiful. Tell me what you think about this. So I feel like the way that I noticed it affecting my life a lot was that like it was such a profound shock, and it was just not like just my friend because I whatever, but you know it wasn't my dad, you know, or my mom. It was my best friend. It was still shocking, and but like from that point on, it was like my grief bone was like screwed up. That's because I've had other close friends die tragically and like it didn't affect me the same. It was like I was shut down. I still feel like I am. Those are all after, right? Yeah. So are you go on. Are you saying that they, that they didn't affect you because they, of that they affected me, but not like not like the first one, not like when Shauna died. And it was just like so shocking and unreal. And and then a couple other friends pretty close afterwards over, you know, a 10-year span, or, you know, died tragically. And it was like, I didn't have the same. And maybe because we weren't as close, but it just felt like I didn't have it there. Like, it was like, I couldn't feel that much, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I'm just I'm just trying to. Yeah. And I, I still feel like that. 
and I still feel really connected to people. So it's not like I'm just totally disconnected. But when it comes to those like tragic like events, I just detach. I think some something happens where it doesn't. I don't feel it like that first time. Let me ask you: Were those events the the friends that you're talking about after? Was that during, before, or after your career as a hospice nurse? Before. It was all before. Yeah. It was all before. I wonder if it's like a defense mechanism or something. Or it's just, I don't know, I mean, that's you. Or um, actually the, the the latest one, I was a hospice nurse. I was a hospice nurse then. But I it's, yeah, I don't feel, I mean, I'm still affected, right? It just doesn't feel as as something. It feels very, definitely much more muted. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Does that concern you in any way or in regard or make you feel stronger about the like is it a positive or negative thing for you, you think? No, I feel like it's negative. Like I feel like I'm not as attached to myself or to the world. Something it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like I'm strong and I can handle it. I know it's okay. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like I'm detached a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if our bodies recognize certain situations or traumas like that, and then once it gets you once, it just they're um, like it's a yeah. similar response system. Maybe I, I have no idea what I'm talking about, so don't <laughs> no one take this as any kind of advice. Is just spitballing. I think you know he's I mean? right, guys. <laughs> I think he's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if 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 like our bodies acknowledge that maybe it's like a similar trigger, and it's like, oh, I've been here before. I'm going to close down because yeah, I don't I'm want gonna... that response to happen to my body again. And that's another wound that you got to – weird transition. But, but, I, I, but like that's – I wonder – that's uh, my question would be like for people out there if who've experienced stuff like this, if that – if they've noticed something similar. Hmm. Because we, – which we don't have to answer today, but that's like food for thought because I've noticed that within myself. I feel like I've had – I've heard a story before because I had someone – multiple episodes of someone that lost someone in the second time and I was trying to correlate the difference and it – I would naturally think the second time, and maybe not though. I don't know. Everyone, maybe the second time could be worse. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm curious. So if anyone is listening, let us know. Yeah. Like I'm actually curious to see if there's some clinical perspective or experiential perspective on that. Yeah. We're going to put a pin on that because I actually am curious to see what that means because I don't know. Yeah. So in regard, I I asked you initially because of, um, oh no, the weird transition that I didn't actually say was back to this. We're not done yet. No pin. We're removing the pin. (laughs) I got acupuncture years ago for the first time. Bear with me. There's a purpose to this. Okay. I got acupuncture for the first time many, many years ago. I went for my back and then he had, the doctor's like, is there anywhere else? Like we have some time. I was like, I pulled my groin when I was 12 and, and my groin's always, whatever in pain was always tight because I pulled it when I was a kid and I was like, that kind of, you know, feels weird. So like, let me just do some boop, boop, boop there. Oh, pin, ironic. Okay. I was just, I was no thinking that, but I didn't, I was like, I'll just hold Just hey, you know, no, no, uh, no pin intended. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my yes. point is he did, did his work in the groin area. And then afterwards I was like, wow, my groin feels like it was brand new. And the way he explained it to me for anyone that's an acupuncturist, uh, I might be butchering this, but he was kind of explaining in layman's terms that the area is healed, but your body doesn't, that area doesn't know it. So it kind of encapsulated that area thinking it was still hurt. And then all we had to do is send a message to the groin area saying, oh, you're healed. And it like opened it up. So I don't know if there's a correlation there for how we handle certain traumatic situations in that my the way my groin encapsulated or covered that area saying you're hurt, like it does the same thing to when we get experience trauma, maybe the second time. Maybe your body kind of protected you there because of the first experience. Yeah. And then it kind of diffused any moods or feelings from that. But that area still needs to be attended to. Yeah. You know what I mean? And how do you attend to it? 
I don't get acupuncture. I was just going to say, <laughs> who's your guy? <laughs> Maybe that's the answer. But also it came back because I didn't keep doing it. So another lesson there, we got to keep massaging that shit out. It's not going to happen overnight. But it might because it kind of happened to you. That Yeah. I mean, I definitely had a couple incredible healings in general. Yeah. So do you have any... I initially asked about whether you were working at hospice at that point because I figured, you know, that line of work, Trent, as we discussed in a prior episode and as you speak, you know, so elegantly all the time, how that affects your perspective in life. So as your time as a hospice nurse or during or now, has that made you reflect more on your past losses in any beneficial way? Like, have you Um, used that, anything you've seen or or experienced in relation to your own loss or do you just kind of keep those... No, I definitely, it's not that I keep them separate. I do feel like there is something about like, um, you know, like being a hospice nurse and watching people die uh, and helping, right? Helping that process and educating. It does feel different than like sudden loss and grief, right? Like that. So I never like associated my like hospice work with like Shauna's death because it feels different. You know, she didn't have this gradual death. She died suddenly. It feels more like a lost grief. Like, whereas in hospice, you have to kind of watch this drawn out, slow death, which some people would think is worse. You know, it just depends. Um, it's a different feeling for sure. I don't really, but in general, both of those experiences have made me super grateful to get older, you know, to age. And to enjoy life and to enjoy health and to know that life is short. I do feel like having many people who I suddenly lost at a young at a young age um, has definitely made me understand that life is short and like the moment is the moment and you have to be in it um, almost to a fault. Like I had to go to therapy to like really to actually like relax on that because it was such a thing of like, I need to make the most of my life. I need to make the most of this because it could all end any minute. I need you to know? nail this parallel parking spot perfectly. It's like relax. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I had to like, I actually had to like learn how to also just enjoy the moment. But <sighs> but like working in hospice and, and um, that has also led me to be like, wow, I'm so grateful to age is the biggest thing. I think... Um, I should, I mean, I think all humans feel weird about aging, but women, especially, and in Los Angeles, and I feel really, really grateful that, like, I don't have that in me. Like, I really feel lucky. That's beautiful because, you know, I'm, yeah, I think you just think about that naturally the older you get, and let alone our own mortality. But there is, like, I have some friends that, they still bring up like college. Like the only thing they talk about is like college. I'm like, I don't like, come on. Like we got, there's more to life. We're going up. Let's go up. My point is, I think there is, there is a beauty in, in getting older. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful perspective because there's wisdom with getting older. I think, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I think people experience certain things earlier and they gain that wisdom at a younger age, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a, our body might, my body might be deteriorating, but we can still take care of that in other ways. But the wisdom that comes with age and experience, it makes life can get better. You know, oh, with yeah. that wisdom, wisdom makes life so much better. Oh, yeah. And so I just we got to flip that perspective on the aging process. Yeah. People who are like, oh, the good old days. I'm like, no, I don't I don't think so. Yeah. Like, I think I think it was a great time, too. I yeah. love those days, but I also love these days. For sure. And I think that's, that's a beautiful perspective because, I, I don't know, I feel like life, it's not over. <laughs> it's not over before it's over. I feel like those people that are looking in the back, they feel like they've already rolled over and died. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not a good thing. Mm-mm. So what's going on with you in hospice right now? So you're saying you're like, what's new in the hospice world? Anything, anything you need to report? 
<laughs> how do you get your content? You know what I mean? Like, well, what are you, what are you constantly thinking? Like, how do you? Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much <laughs> to say. Yeah, yeah, it's endless. I do feel like um, there are main topics that I really want people to know. And like, as you get more, fo- I mean, you know this too, as you get more followers, like you kind of have to repeat a lot of the things because yeah. they're not all going back and watching your other 400 videos you have. So I do feel like I have main topics that I want people to really know about. And then what are my, those main topics? the main topics are what it looks like to die, like what your body will literally look like, the things you're going to see. Oh, you, did you post, you post something about the death rattle not long ago? Uh-huh. Yeah, that one was, that was. Oh, like the actual like death the, rattle? You posted that you actually, you gave the trigger yeah, warnings, man. et cetera, oh, et cetera. Man. I mentioned that recently. Like I saw it and that one, that one hits. Yeah. You know, like you've, you've, I mean, you post other videos that, you know, are definitely super like emotional, but that one was like, oof. that was, yeah. one, I'm sure I missed other videos, but that one was very real. There was a really good one, the the death rattle one and the changes in breathing. Cause those are the two that really upset people the most if they don't know what they are. Do you want to explain think... for people listening that don't know what the death, do you want to explain? Yeah, that? yeah, I can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're we're yeah. going to remove the dead talks logo and this is going to be on your TikTok. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, so the death rattle. First off, it's the death rattle is an awful name. The real name is called terminal secretions, which also kind of sounds bad. So here's the thing. Death is a natural part of life. And I know we can like say that over and over and over again, but that is what we really need to like take in. It's natural. Our bodies are biologically built to do it. And the more you watch it, like myself or anyone else that works in this world, you see the same things over and over and over and over over again. And that's how we know this is a natural part of death and dying. So one of those things are is called terminal secretions. And they call it the death rattle because you hear it right before they die. So they call it the death rattle. And a lot of people think it's their loved one drowning on their fluids. So they think their lungs are filling up. And because of that, they're like suffocating or drowning. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That's It's not coming from their lungs. You and I and everyone are listening are, are creating saliva in our mouths because our bodies are miraculous and they do that for us unconsciously. And we unconsciously swallow the saliva that we're creating all day long. At the end of life, your body is not working as well as it usually does. So it's still creating saliva. Sometimes it'll have you swallow it. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes the muscles here are really weak and you're just not swallowing and you're so unconscious that your body is still creating saliva, but it's not swallowing it. So it collects in your mouth. And then your mouth is hanging open because you also have really relaxed uh, facial muscles. So the muscles are hanging open and then you're breathing through your mouth. And with every breath, it sounds wet because like air is going over those secretions. And they might not even, it might not even be a lot of secretions, but it will still create this loud noise. So you get this death rattle or like a gurgle. And people really associate that with something awful happening. And it's like the most natural thing ever. We can do things for it. We would never suction. Like when I was a ICU nurse, all we did was suction people all the time. We would never do that because that actually, your body realizes there's like something unnatural in the mouth. So it'll create more saliva. So it actually makes it worse if you keep suctioning it. So you don't want to, you don't want to suction it. You could turn someone over and the saliva will just come out of their mouth. You can give them medication to dry it up, but that also creates dry mouth, which is uncomfortable. So a lot of times with just through education, we say, hey, it's really normal. Don't worry. It's not causing your loved one um, any pain or suffering. They also will have changes in breathing, so they're not going to breathe like we breathe. That's also okay. It's literally the body doing what it needs to do to slowly shut down. And 
your calcium levels increase. All these things are happening so you're really fully unconscious on your own. And your body is just slowly shutting down. And because of that, you're having all these changes. And it's really normal. But people aren't used to seeing it, so they freak out. There is a consistent timetable for when that happens. I just usually, I was called a death rattle for a reason. Like, is that yeah. close? How close usually does that? It's usually a few a few hours to a few days. Oh, so it's that close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few hours to a few days. So people, yeah, if you start hearing that, but if they are like awake and alert and like talking to you and have like a gurgly, because that can happen too, that's not the death rattle. That's like they just need to clear their throat or they have like really weak muscles. So they have to have like, other things going on, like they have to be unconscious, usually changes in breathing. There's other things happening along with the death rattle. Got it. And so that's one of the topics. You just, yeah. That, was the second one was the breathing or is that part of the death? No, that's a part of it. That's yeah. like part of like what it looks like. That's one of the main things I like to talk about, all the different things, all the different ways people look when right. they die. Right. Um, because so often people are like, my loved ones suffered, they X, Y, and Z. And it's like, oh, they just, they just explain the dying process and no one told them that's what it looks like. The other things are like the different phenomena that happen at the end of life, like people visioning, seeing dead relatives, dead loved ones, dead pets. The other one is the rally where they have um, uh, they have like a burst of energy right before death for a few hours to a couple days, and then they suddenly die. There's like the death reach where they reach up and they're like reaching for somebody or the death stare where they're staring at someone People love hearing stories about that. And those things are not something that I share because I um, want to try to convince people that there's something better out there. It's more that that's what we see on like a daily basis. It happens all the time. So it's something um, that's important, I think, to let people know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so, it, it's very, it's very interesting to a lot of people because of that reason. And some people might take it the wrong way. Like yeah. it's, but I think the fact that it is institutional and it's something that you guys, Correct me if I'm wrong. You, that's part of the educational process. Everything you just mentioned, especially with seeing the dead relatives or whatever. Yeah, we we like have to talk about that because people will think my my husband needs medicated. He's seeing his dad. His dad's been dead, and we have so we try to educate prior to it happening. So one, they know that this means that death is usually a few weeks away. That's a, that's standard. Like if you start seeing dead relatives, usually they're gonna die within the next few weeks, and that. As long as they're cool with it, as long as they're not like being hurt by it or they're not like, because uh, sometimes there's, if there's agitation along with that or they're paranoid or they think or the, the devil's life. after the, yeah, <laughs> the devil's after them or something. Like we, I wouldn't consider that visioning. I would consider that them having some, some issues, uh, the delirium or paranoia. That's not associated with visioning. Visioning is very specific, very clear, very calming. And usually, a few weeks to about a month before someone dies. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it's the once again that it's so consistent, and you guys educate each other on that and the patients and whatnot. That's one of those things. Kind of yes and no, relating it to your story about the psychic that mentioned your nicknames. It's like that happens so often, specifically in hospice. I don't know how. Like, how do you? Not that we're here to argue or prove anything, but it's just it's like undisputable. It's like that happens all the time. But then it's a question of okay, is it? Is it something like that, you know, yeah. the end, like afterlife type stuff, or is it another something our body does? And it, and it, I don't know. Like, does any, has anyone gotten that deep on determining exactly what that is, or do they not put a stamp on it that it's 
the afterlife or anything like that. They We kind of know what it's not, right? So, like, a lot of people will write in my comments, like, oh, it's the oxygen leaving the brain, which doesn't even make sense. But, like, they'll say, like, they're they're not oxygenating well enough, so they don't have enough oxygen in their brain, so they're hallucinating or they're delusional. And that's just not true. So we know things that it's not. It's not that because people are oxygenating well when this is happening. They're not minutes before death like people think that it it happens like minutes. It's usually a few weeks before death. So it's not something like that. Um, it's not medication-driven because um, we keep track of medications and certain medications are on. And, you know, sometimes it can be medication-driven, but usually they have other symptoms when it is medication-driven, right? So we know things that it's not, that a lot of people think it is. But we don't, you know, it could be like a release of DMT, people say. You know, there's definitely theories, but um, nothing proven. And that's why it's kind of like, that's why I, I wouldn't die on the hill that it's for sure them seeing their dead relatives. The hill I die on is that like, I know it happens. Yeah. I don't know why it does, but I know it. It's enough. I know it happens. It's enough to like, okay, what's going like, to think about it and yeah. question it and entertain it as a possibility at the least, let alone dismiss everything. Like, I, I don't really dismiss anything like that, especially. I have a hard time just dismissing. Like, yeah. This is what I think. I think it's likely, but what do you, th- you know what I mean? Like, that sounds interesting, too. Maybe we just die and do nothing. Yeah. I, I mean, either way, like, I choose, like, as long as it's making them feel better, like, great. Yeah, like, that's, that's what I care about. Right. Are you comfortable with that? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, great. Then go for it. Like, that, let's do it. Let's believe this. That is like the <laughs> way of life. If it makes you feel good and feel happy and whatever world you're living in doesn't do anything to me, that's it. Let yeah. the person live. You know what I mean? People have to get, you have to get combative about something because it doesn't. Go to your stance. It's like, but that also does nothing to do with you. Just don't watch that video. Or don't, yes, you know what I mean? yes, yes, yes. And the DMT thing is interesting because I, I've indulged it as opposed to released it. Like yeah. I've taken that path before. And what, what I've heard from other people experiencing is saying it's like the, di- the, the dying drug, I think, or so they say something like that oh, because okay. it, it feels like people have compared it without knowing, I guess, firsthand. And it's like you're transitioning. And when I did try DMT many years ago, five, six years ago, if I had to think, it would have felt like I never had a near-death experience. Thank God. I never, you know, uh, been close. Knock on this wood right here. And that's what it felt like. It felt like a transitionary period. So my question with the DMT thing is, even if someone dismisses that to just like releasing DMT, what is the purpose? Like, I don't think we even understand the purpose behind DMT. We know we have it in our pineal gland, correct? We know it's, we all, other mammals have it, I believe too. But the purpose of it, you know what I mean? Like, it makes right. sense to me from a unclinical standpoint or unscientific standpoint, like that could be the transitional thing we release for the other side. So it also doesn't dismiss it as, oh, it's just DMT and you're just hallucinating. If anything, that might make it more real. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. Why do we have that in our body? Why do right. I, I'm from my understanding, once again, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it's been like solidly confined to an answer of this is why we have to, this is the purpose it serves. Besides, I know it causes us to dream and hyper hallucinations. If yeah. you, if, if when we do it like I did it, I'm not recommending that, please. But um, but it is it's interesting that DMT because I'm I feel I feel like it has a purpose and I think that's the purpose that transitionary period or maybe it allows us to see something more clearly I don't know I have no idea which I, I honestly can't speak to it I have no clue. Yeah, leave that to me and the weirdos that are trying DMT <laughs> um but what, what's your don't get me started <laughs> on trying drugs well okay? it's not, that's the thing I want to correct that too. DMT's I, I, not a drug I think I called it a dying drug I I don't like that I use the word drug oh, okay. because once again is it a drug when we 
we produce it. We have like you and me are swimming in a swamp of DMT in our pineal gland right now. I don't know if that's real. Are we swimming in a swamp? Of, I, I don't. Is that is well, that proven? I mean, it's released when you when you drink. I can I think pretty sure. Once again, I, I need like a I, I need like don't a clinical either. person to start fact checking what I'm saying. I'm a clinical person. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, but we produce DMT. I know that much, right? I feel like that's I feel like that's debatable. Should we Google this right now? I think we should go. What is the proper Google term right now? I know it's dimethyltryptamine. Um, like just where is DMT? DMT. I'm just going to type DMT okay. and see the first thing. I know it's dimethyltryptamine. I'll talk because I'm They do call it a drug. DMT okay, so it's in the brain. Off. Okay. It occurs in many Listen, plants and animals. There's a severe speculation and yet untested hypoth- hypothesis suggests that DMT is produced in the human brain. So it's it's speculative. It's speculative that it's either DMT produced? It's produced in the human brain. And is involved in certain psychological and neurological states. DMT is naturally occurring in small amounts in rat brain, human spinal fluid, and other tissues of the of humans and other mammals. Wait, so it's speculative that we even produce it? That's what it says. That's what it says. Like the really? the one little paragraph right there, which I kind of knew. I thought they weren't like totally sure that that was a thing. And if it is a thing, it might be only a small amounts. Oh, interesting. I'm but I literally don't know. This could be me like declare. I mean, I'm reading this off here, but I also like, my sister always says I declare things and that's true. I, I don't know. I don't like, fully know. I feel like I just declare things that weren't fully. That's what I'm saying is don't listen to me. Do your fact, <laughs> like no matter what I say from this point before, after, do your own fact checking. I'm just, you know. I feel like I know a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of stuff I don't know like this. That's the thing. I feel like I know a lot of stuff, but there's way more that I don't know. Yes. But that's more to learn. Yeah, that's right. Jesus. Okay, enough of DMT because clearly yeah, I don't know my go? information. Where, where do we go from here? <laughs> well, let me ask you. This, let me ask you this today in your process of grief in regards to your experiences with loss and being around loss so often. Is that something that is in your head more often now? Like, what's your process with grief? I feel like I don't actually experience grief. Maybe that uh, much. make it synonymous with grief and death. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Being a hospice nurse to me, that that's how I'm around death right now anyway. Um, the, I know, though, that that can change in a blink of an eye where I will now be in my inner circle of experiencing death. But as a hospice nurse experiencing death, I love my job. It doesn't feel sad. I feel grateful and honored. I feel like it's sacred being around death that's not like my own personal love, right, that I'm losing um, feels sacred and like I'm – I love it. So it doesn't necessarily affect me in a negative way. And as far as like my day-to-day grief of my own, I don't feel like I carry something that feels daily. You know, I'm not daily thinking of the friends I've lost. And I haven't, I almost said knock on wood, but like, you know, like I, I realize that like that can change at any moment. But as of now, it's been a very long time since I've really had one of those real big shocking losses. So I don't really carry that around in my day-to-day life. At least it doesn't feel like I do. I feel pretty free and happy and peaceful. Yeah, because that's a lot of things people say in regards to grief. When you, when you experience something, it doesn't really go away, but it definitely gets, you know, I don't want to say numbed either, but diffused a little bit. You know, you you, you kind of just live with it. It's an experience. You, remember, you remember it, you do live with it, but it does get, it does get easier. You know what I mean? Especially people that are going through it right now, it is something that in the moment when you're going through some shit, it just feels like, wait, what's, when is, is, it feels like never. It feels like I'm infinitely going to feel like this. Mm -hmm. But I think if you, if you do trust the way you feel and allow yourself to feel, like I've said a million times, 
I, I even mentioned it today in my therapy session. I was like, I don't know if it's the process of contemplation when you're going through something or just the process of just allowing yourself to feel and like letting that enter, letting that feeling just diffuse itself or maybe both because I think they both go hand in hand. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a mix of just allowing yourself to feel and you got to go through it. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel like when I was really in it, um, like when the first couple of years or whatever, um, I was, a, even though I didn't like feeling like that, I felt like I would be, I didn't want that to go away because then it was like I was losing them even more. Yeah. That's common. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely common because I feel like you, yeah, well, because once you get, quote, you're never going to get over it, but once you kind of feel like you've gotten through the process, it's like, oh, now that person's really gone. Yeah. But if I stay in this pain, then they're, they're I feel like they're still with me in some way, but they yeah. can still be with you without feeling pain. You can, like the guy Rodney Norman who I had on is fantastic. He kind of, he kind of like flips the script and like, you want to live through that love and like, you you want to be happy for that. You, you can still live in happiness. You don't have to stay in that grief to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm grieving because of how much I love this person. Yeah. You know, even though the path, like the pain you feel with grief is kind of synonymous with the love you had, like that's the price of love, unfortunately, or fortunately, but you can also flip that and you can still live a full life happy. Yeah. And that just takes time, I think. Yeah, definitely. At least for me. Everything, it takes yeah, time. It, it all takes time. And I think we got to be a little bit more patient and a little easier on ourselves sometimes. Yeah. You know? Uh, is there any, yeah. any other mic, any mic drops you got for me? Anything you want to say <laughs> on the way out of here? <laughs> You'll feel uh, like you got it all out? I got it all out. All this right, is well, so great. I know. We should, I feel like some, something tells me this isn't going to be the last episode, so stay tuned. But um, <laughs> I do appreciate you coming back. You know, the, the first episode we had, I thought I... And, same with the second one. It feels I love having this conversation with you. As many people love hearing you and your perspectives, so I do commend you on everything you're doing and everything that's to come. Thank you. Like, like you've kind of mentioned to me, I'm not going to be the one to say it, but um, yeah, I think I just commend you for what you're doing. You're doing it in such a natural way, and I think, in my opinion, being as a fan, it's that's what I think draws people to you. Know, you just you do it because you want to do it, mm. and you just you're just so easy to talk to and, and you're relatable. So I I want to thank you for what you are doing. And I want to thank you for being here. Thank you. I feel the same about you. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. That was a that was a good throwback <laughs> for me complimenting the shit out of you. So thank you. I appreciate it. Didn't have to do it. But um, another episode of Dead Talks, all the information if you want to find Hospice Nurse Julie at, you want to say it? Oh, yeah. Um, so I am, I am, you can find me at Hospice Nurse Julie at, on really on all platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you get your, your hospice information. You can find me there, Hospice Nurse Julie. There we go. And everything will be plugged down below wherever you're watching. So thank you guys again. Another episode and a second time guest. Thank you again. And until next time, ladies and gents, thank you. <laughs>